Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. The most important thing to remember is that life insurance is an asset and it is something that needs to be understood and it can really have some significant worth. So when we talk about life insurance as an asset, There are life insurance policies that build cash value. And if someone has a life insurance policy that has cash value, that is another asset that we really have to understand and make some decisions about. Embarking on the journey into the next chapter of your life after divorce is often met with a mixture of excitement and fear. Everything is affected. Transitioning home and career, managing your finances, parenting as a single mom or dad, and managing the emotions around step-parents in your children's lives. The world of online dating, reconnecting with who you want to be in this new chapter of life, and finding your passion, purpose, sensuality, sexuality, and so much more. Tune in as we speak to the experts in every area of post-divorce life and support you to enter and navigate it as an adventure with a growth mindset and a heart of possibility. So welcome, Kim and Danielle. Karen, thanks for inviting us. Happy to be here. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having us. We're so happy to be here as well. This is such an important topic, frequently forgotten post-divorce essentials. And for those listening, you finally get your settlement and it's so easy to move on to the business of figuring out your life post-divorce. And today we're speaking to Kim and Danielle about some of the really essential pieces of business that are often forgotten that are really key to ensuring that you're protected going forward in this next chapter of your life. So let's begin with uh with the issue of health insurance. Kim, can you start us off with what our listeners should be thinking about and looking for? Absolutely. So I think one of the important things to understand with regard to health insurance after a divorce is that a divorce is considered to be a qualifying event. 
which means that if you've previously been covered under a spouse's health insurance plan, you have 60 days to enroll in your employer's health insurance plan without any evidence of insurability. And that's really important to understand if you are having to make a change to your insurance. Now, it could be that you are going to be on COBRA. And COBRA normally lasts for 18 months, but if it's due to a divorce, it actually lasts for an additional 18 months. So you have up to 36 months on COBRA. Now, if you have not been part of an employer-sponsored health insurance plan or your spouse has not been part of an employer-sponsored health insurance plan, you also have a qualifying event to look at participating in your state, uh, the exchange that was established under Obamacare. And I know I'm dwelling on that 60 days, but that 60 days is important because, again, you have a special election where you can enroll in that exchange. And if you miss that opportunity, you'd have to wait until open enrollment, which is typically only one time a year. And if all else fails, there are also programs referred to as short-term care, which can be an option where you can buy an insurance policy where benefits are available typically up to 12 months. However, those plans typically do not cover any pre-existing conditions. So in summary, understanding what your health insurance is going to be going forward is something that you really have to, within the first 60 days, decide if you want to have coverage that's going to pay for pre-existing conditions. And then the other thing to remember is that um, while COBRA is available for 36 months, you don't want to wait until the 35th month to figure out what you're going to do when your COBRA expires, because you're going to want to spend some time understanding what plans are available. And insurance carriers typically require more than 30 days to enroll you in a new plan. So keep that in mind as well. Excellent. You know, I think if you're listening and you know that you're toward the tail end of your divorce, I know for me, um, it's just it's hard to keep it all front of mind. And even it's so important. I mean, what I hear you saying, Kim, is 60 days, which is going to fly by in the chaos of post-divorce life. And so to, to just mark your calendar, even if you have to keep moving it as a reminder to um, that, that this is an area where you have to do some research, get, gather some information and make some important decisions. Absolutely, Karen. Yeah. And Danielle, is there anything you wanted to add to that piece of it? I don't think so. I think, you know, 
Kim really said it very well. It's just a matter of not waiting till the end to plan so that you can take a look at all the options so that you have the time to evaluate the options and make an educated decision. And the other question that I want to ask um, as a parent of adult children is, can you just touch on uh, what what is allowed? Like when you have kids who are in college or just graduating college, are there certain uh, age brackets where you can still cover your children? Can we just share that with the audience at this moment? Absolutely. And with Obamacare, um, we've been permitted now to keep our adult children on our health insurance plans up until age 26. What's also important about that to know is, again, you're going to have that special election, meaning that this is a qualifying event to make a determination of what your insurance coverage will be after that. So while we can keep our adult children on our plan for a number of years, uh, the same as we don't want to exhaust COBRA and then start looking for an option for our children, for ourselves, we want to be mindful of the same thing with our children. Right. And um, just, uh, I've just gone through this. So you've said this word qualifying event. And so I just want to clarify for those listening, um, there's a lot of limitations to what we can do, especially with Obamacare, if you don't fall into the normal registration. And so when you say qualifying event, it's like you get a pass. You actually have this opportunity that the average person doesn't have because of the event of divorce that all of a sudden registration is open to you, but for a very limited period of time. Is that a fairly accurate description of a qualifying event? Exactly. When I think of a qualifying event, it's really a special election with a limited period of time where you can enroll in a plan and also not have to present evidence of insurability, meaning that if you enroll in a plan, when you have a special election or there's a qualifying event, you can't be denied coverage and you're automatically going to have coverage for any of your pre-existing conditions. So it's very important to be mindful of these dates and not wait until the last minute to start evaluating what your options are. Excellent. And and is it also true, is it a fair statement that while COBRA gives you the extension, it also tends to be more expensive? So that's a great point. And it really depends on your age. So COBRA, with COBRA, an employer charges the premium and they can actually increase that premium by 2%. So it's not that COBRA is more expensive, but when you look at um, an employer-sponsored health insurance plan, it's really one size fits all. And while you may no longer want or need maternity coverage, it's included. And employer-sponsored health insurance plans 
also are required to cover, depending upon the state, mandated benefits for special types of treatment. So for some people, an employer-sponsored plan and COBRA can provide very comprehensive coverage. And depending upon your age, COBRA could be less expensive than going into the individual market and looking for coverage. So that's why it's always a good idea to understand you know, what the COBRA costs will be to see if there's an opportunity to join another employer-sponsored plan, um, and also potentially to look at some of the options available on the exchange. Yeah, so that's perfect because like uh, me and my family, we're healthy as an ox. And so uh, so something like that might be um, like overkill. And so even if you, what I'm hearing is even if you do have an opportunity to just scoot over into COBRA um, and you've got this, you know, 36 months of coverage, it still would serve our listeners very well to do the research and make sure that that's, uh, that's the best coverage for them under the circumstances. Exactly. Because if you, as an example, are self-employed, mm-hmm. you know, you may want to establish your own plan, a high deductible plan, as an example, so that you can have more catastrophic coverage as opposed to an employer-sponsored plan. So as an example, in my husband's plan, we still have a $5 copay for prescription drugs. Well, the cost of having a $5 copay in an employer-sponsored health insurance plan is very expensive. So if I were evaluating what my needs for insurance were, if my husband and I divorced, you know, I might not be interested in paying such a high premium for first dollar coverage. Perfect. So, so there's so many different scenarios out there. That's a perfect one. If you don't, if you're not really using any prescription drugs and yet you're paying that high uh, premium for them, then that's something to look at. So that's great. So we want to just we want to give you enough information uh, that you're red flagging this. That you're that if it hasn't been on your radar, it's on your radar now. That you'll take a look at what your health insurance is and what you need it to be, and do that research. Ahead of time so that you don't lose that 60 days or find yourself in a jam. Uh, So is there anything else on health insurance or can we move on to that next topic that we talked about? Uh, I think we've covered a lot on health insurance. I think, again, um, you know, just being aware of the special election and not missing those dates Perfect. You've highlighted that really well. Perfect. So then, you know, the next topic that we were talking about really was so not on my radar, uh, Kim and Danielle. And so you guys brought up to me uh, the importance, the value of disability insurance. Can you share with our listeners a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, I am. Kim, not to interrupt, but why don't we just start with what disability insurance is? I, I did a you know something this morning with in a mentorship program, and I used that term, and I realized that some people didn't even know what I was talking about. So maybe if you touch upon what it is real quick, so that our listeners are aware. And you um, you beat me to you beat me to the punchline. 
So disability insurance is essentially income replacement if you if you can't work. So most people are significantly rely on their income to meet what their current expenses are, their mortgage payment, their car payment, um, you know, food and so on from there. So it's interesting when people often talk about what their greatest asset is, you know, they tend to overlook their ability to earn an income is really their greatest asset. So when I'm thinking about um, people who have um, who have gone through a divorce, the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, if there are agreements for alimony or for child support, what would be the impact if that payor became disabled? Mm. And so it might be worth understanding. Um, you know, if that number is significant and you are relying upon it, should you ensure that income for you and your family? So there are disability policies that can be purchased to cover alimony and child support. And the reason I bring this up is, you know, I had a client who became disabled um, he ended up, he had leukemia, he had a stem cell transplant, and all of a sudden, um, he was disabled, not working, and didn't have enough income to meet his obligations. And so it was a very difficult situation that required him to go back to court and modify agreements and so on from there. And it was sort of the domino effect of everybody it, it impacted. So I think that it's important to understand what would the ramifications be if you were anticipating receiving, you know, child support or alimony payments and your former spouse became disabled. And then I think the other thing to think about is, you know, if now your income is important to meeting your expenses, is it something that you should be insuring as well? Because the risk of premature death is pretty low, but the risk of being disabled can be pretty high. And there's what I'd call the physical disability, and then there's the economic disability. So if I'm disabled and I can't work, that's one issue. But what if I return to work after I've had a disability and all of a sudden I don't have any clients to work with and I have to start rebuilding my business? So I think it's important to understand and have a plan if you became disabled and you're dependent upon your income, but also if you are anticipating receiving material support in the way of uh, alimony or child support, what would be the impact if those payments stopped or were modified because there just wasn't any income being produced? 
So then, uh, go ahead, Danielle. No, I was just going to say, and then also, right, sometimes there are enforced policies. So taking a look at what you might already have in force and seeing if it's still the right amount of coverage and, and just what type of coverage as well. As Kim was talking about, if you can return back to work part-time, right? Not all disability insurance policies are created equally. Sometimes there are different riders and it's understanding what is included in those policies as well. So, you know, I've, I've actually, the thought of disability insurance has never crossed my mind. So I'm just saying that I'm thinking that some of my listeners are going, yeah, me too. Um, who, so I, I'm hearing you say the, the, the primary earner who might be paying alimony and child support, even you insuring them might make sense. Um, insuring yourself, maybe the best way to ask the question is, when is disability insurance really not needed? When what you're doing is a hobby and you don't need any income. You know, Kim, you said something really that, that kind of hit me uh, the first time we talked about this. And you said, you know, everybody thinks to insure themselves with life insurance, uh, but not so much with disability insurance. And yet the likelihood, I think that's where you were going, like the likelihood um, of being disabled at one point or another is, is, um, is not low. And so you're basically saying everybody should look at disability insurance to protect themselves if they are responsible for covering like their monthly nut and the, the main um, income producer? Yes. I mean, I think unless you're in a position where um, you are working because you enjoy what you're doing and you're not reliant upon that income, you know, maybe you don't need disability insurance at that point in time. Or if you became disabled and you could easily retire, you know, maybe you don't need disability insurance. But on the other hand, if you need your income to meet your current living expenses and to accumulate for the future, as an example, um, then you probably do need income protection for some period of time. Okay. And, and certainly those of you out there who are single parents and, you know, already feeling the, the new burden of that, it sounds like looking into disability insurance, finding out what the options are, what the cost is, and doing a cost-benefit analysis makes a whole lot of sense. And then here's what I would say, Karen. Um, something is always better than nothing. Mm -hmm. So you can certainly buy you know, disability insurance, maybe a more limited policy, and add to it in the future, or have something that's really going to cover, you know, really what the essentials would be. Perfect. So then um, let's, let's move into the next section. And um, we talked about uh, long-term care and what you called catastrophic disability. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So there's often a lot of confusion about 
disability insurance and long-term care insurance. So as we talked about previously, disability insurance is what will protect your income if you are unable to work for a period of time or if you can never return to work. Or as Danielle talked about, if you're only able to return to work on a part-time basis because of changes in your health. Well, there are a number of people who, in addition to being disabled, simultaneously need long-term care services that are not covered by either employer-sponsored health insurance plans, individual health insurance plans, or Medicare in the future. So as an example, um, I have had a number of clients who have been under the age of 65 who have had a catastrophic situation where in addition to not being able to work, they also needed home health care to assist with what we call the activities of daily living. You know, all of the things that you and I and Danielle took for granted this morning. You know, we went from a sitting to a standing position, we got out of bed, you know, we bathed, we showered, we fed ourselves and so on from there. So I had a client recently as an example who had a stroke and he was relatively young and he was an attorney. And so he was not able to work for, um, for several years. And in addition to having a loss of income, he also needed help with the activities of daily living. He had significant paralysis on the right side of his body, and he also had some cognitive issues. So in addition to losing income, he also had a new expense that he had not anticipated that he would need at this point in his life. He had to hire a home health aide. That home health aide now is there every day from eight in the morning until eight at night, seven days a week. And he's going to need that care for the rest of his life. And, you know, long-term care is something that is important to think about if someone becomes disabled at a younger age, but it's also something to think about on a post-retirement basis. Right. Because when you are divorced, to a certain extent, there has been the loss of a built-in caregiver. And that's something that unfortunately uh, is a reality for many people. And when we lose a caregiver, we often end up in a position of being dependent upon our adult children or other family members on many different levels. Right. right. That's such a good point. And I remember my talking to my mom about this years ago. She's in her 80s now. And she was so adamantly opposed to long-term care because she had assets. And um, 
And now she's got some challenges and she doesn't have that coverage. And so um, it, it really can uh, impact you, even if you have built in assets that they could pretty quickly, like your, your client you're ta talking about, pretty quickly fade away. And then the reality is, you know, as we see more people, um, you know, deciding to divorce later in life, and all of a sudden, as a family unit, you know, they had the ability to perhaps self-insure for those expenses. But now if we have two people and we have two individuals who have half of the assets or some reduced portion of what they had previously, you know, they may not be in a position to self-insure for these expenses the way that they were previously. Right. Um, and then the other thing to think about also with, with long-term care is if you have purchased long-term care when you were married, what do you do with those policies now that you've been divorced? A lot of policies were issued with something that's called a shared care rider so that a two spouses, as an example, could um, share benefits. So if one spouse exhausted their pool of money, they could then share in the other spouses or whatever was left over at the first spouse to die would be inherited by the surviving spouse. Well, it's really important to check with the insurance company that issued the long-term care to understand what your options are. There are some carriers that if you are divorced, they're automatically going to cancel that shared care rider. There are others that will permit you to maintain the shared care rider, but that's really something that you want to establish going forward um, with regard to how you and your former spouse will utilize these long-term care insurance benefits. And if one of you is more predisposed to needing care, then it might make sense for the other spouse to obtain additional coverage so that there is enough benefits, you know, to, to go around. And what I'm seeing is that for a lot of my clients, um, having a long-term care insurance policy as part of, you know, their final uh, financial agreements can really make sense. Yeah. And if you have a policy, especially with a, you know, a limited payment plan, it's not unusual to see one spouse agree to pay the premiums for the other spouse's long-term care insurance policy. And it's not just a benefit, Karen, for the spouse. It's really a benefit for the adult children. I'm hearing that. I'm hearing that because the burden is going to ultimately fall on the adult children once your 
um, once you're divorced. And so it really, it's, it's that, you know, you guys talk about protection. It's just another layer of protection that is so important. And so now we're even speaking to those of you in the process of divorce, that this is something that you might want to bring up with your attorney and just, or talk to your insurance broker and just make sure that you're, uh, covered and protected. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And then also setting up the, the correct payment plan if needed as well with the two separate policies. If you right. right, you each have your own policy, even though there are some shared riders on there, making sure that those are established so that there is a plan. We have a special gift for you. Whether you're still emotionally entangled with your ex or not, imagining and creating your life after divorce can feel surreal for some, terrifying for others. Fears and limiting beliefs around financial security, building new friendships, health and fitness, and even finding healthy love can interfere with your ability to create the life you desire. Journey Beyond Divorce coaches can help you get clear on what you want and the obstacles that are keeping you stuck and guide you in manifesting your ideal life. We're here to help you enter this new chapter with more confidence and enthusiasm with a free jumpstart call. Visit journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash jumpstart to book your call today. The next topic that we want to touch on, uh, which is really important, is life insurance. Who needs it? How much do they need coming out of a divorce? What, what do we need to be taking into consideration? So that's a great question, Karen. And the most important thing to remember is that life insurance is an asset, and it is something that needs to be understood and it can really have some significant worth. So when we talk about life insurance as an asset, there are life insurance policies that build cash value. And if someone has a life insurance policy that has cash value, that is another asset that we really have to understand and make some decisions about. Who's the owner of that policy? Who's the beneficiary of that policy? Is there a significant amount of cash in that policy where the other spouse should be receiving some of that benefit from there? So I think understanding that this is an asset is really important. You know, what I'm always concerned about is if there's going to be life insurance that's going to be required as part of the divorce settlement, it's really important for the person 
who is going to be the beneficiary of the life insurance to also be the owner of the policy. Can you just say that again? Because yeah. that, that's where I got super tripped up. And, um, and I think that's such a vital point. Can you just say that again and explain why you're saying it? Absolutely. If you are going to be the beneficiary of a life insurance policy, you also need to be the owner of the policy. And the reason I say that is the owner has all of the rights. The owner can change the face amount. They could change the beneficiary. They can um, cancel the policy. So if you are going to be a beneficiary of a life insurance policy, you better be the owner of the policy as well. And if I could, um, so in my situation, right, and we were each required to have life insurance and um, my children's father just stopped paying for it. So, so, so there's just no life insurance on his side. And if I was the owner of that policy, even if that meant me, you know, digging into my own pocket, at least they would still have that coverage. Is that, is that part of it? That's exactly right, Karen, because if you're the owner, if your um, husband stopped paying the premium, then you have the ability to pay the premium, to reduce the face amount so that the premium becomes more affordable, as an example. So it gives you the control with regard, you know, to that policy. And, and so I just want to do a shout out to all of my listeners who um, who are in the midst of or just ending high conflict divorces. It's like one of the things we talk about is is be an acceptance of who your spouse is and how they show up. And so if this is resonating with you, if you think uh, you may find yourself between a rock and a hard place, as I did, um, listen into this advice because this is going to be really valuable to keep your frustration and resentment down and uh, your coverage where it should be. And Kim, I have a question then, right? In, in, when we are structuring these you know, divorce settlements, do you recommend it be a new policy or modify any existing coverage that might be on the insured? I think that question comes up a lot for us. And that's a great question. And I would say it really depends because if we have uh, someone who's not insurable, we may need to work with the insurance policy that we have at hand. And that's a really important consideration. The other issue is who's the current owner of the policy? So as an example, if you know we have a policy that's individually owned, it can be transferred to a spouse um, while the couple is married, and that can accomplish you know, the, what is needed. Um, so the question is, it depends. 
Now, if we have, as an example, a life insurance policy that may be in a trust, as an example, you know, then the question is, who are the beneficiaries of the trust and who is the trustee? And so it could be that if a spouse is a trustee of a trust, and even though they aren't the owner of the policy, the trust is the owner of the policy, and the named beneficiaries are where we want the assets to go and be available, then that might not warrant the need for a new life insurance policy. But I also want to talk about beneficiaries because this happens very often is someone, um, there is a life insurance policy and they are the owner, but they name minor children as beneficiaries. And that's a problem because insurance companies will not pay benefits to minors who are under the age of 18. So what that means is that you typically have to go to court in order to have a trust, um, you know, depending upon the state, established for the benefit of those minor children. And during COVID, as an example, you know, we have found courts are closed and it there has been a lengthy delay in the ability to have that death benefit paid out. And if that money is important to meet current expenses, if we have the wrong beneficiary, as an example, you know, we could have an issue with regard to having support, financial support, you know, available immediately from there. What's the best solution in a case like that? So for all of our listeners who have school-age children or have children who are in high school, not yet 18 years old, what, what is the solution? The solution is usually to, depending upon the state, but not to have the children named as owners, but perhaps a trust that would be named or depending upon the state, Um, uniform gift to minors accounts or things of that nature. So depending upon what state you're in, you should really have a discussion with regard to um, who the owner is that makes the most sense for that insurance policy. But that's something that's often overlooked um, and brings us really into estate planning. So when individuals, you know, divorce, it's very important to review those documents. And part of that is reviewing your life insurance, who the owners are, who the beneficiaries are. If you have a term insurance policy, you know, to Danielle's point, will the term insurance be in place long enough? for the um, time that the insurance needs to be in force. And as Danielle can talk about, understanding conversion options is very important. Danielle, do you want to chat a little bit about that? 
It would. Yeah. I mean, that's an important thing to consider is the conversion feature on a term insurance policy. And what that means is sometimes a term insurance policy might have a feature to it that allows you to convert to a more permanent form of life insurance, whether it's universal life or whole life insurance without requalifying medically. So you're preserving that option. And that is an important feature because we might need life insurance longer than we anticipated. We talked even and joked earlier about, right, depending on, we can have health insurance in our, our kids up until age 26. And now we're talking about life insurance just to, to age 18 until they can receive these funds outright. And really just having a conversation with an advisor to figure out what you want to see happen for, for your children, if you have any children, during during this process and is there is there an age um is there an age that is like typically recommended when you've got uh young adults that you that it's uh it's wise to ensure to have life insurance up to a particular age or is that just a, a, on a case-by-case basis in opinion I think that's very much a case by case. I mean, um, I think that, you know, most of us who are looking at providing, you know, support for our children anticipate that that will end at some point in time. But that's not the case for everybody. There are some children who are going to need ongoing support for the balance of you know, their life. And so I think it really depends on the individual's situation um, and what those kids will need. And, you know, I asked because, so I'm, I'm divorced about 15 years and I got a 30 year term. Um, and my thought was, okay, that will take them, that'll take my kids into their mid thirties. And okay, that that seems like they should be good. Like, you know, again, I have clients of children with special needs. So not that, but your average reasonably capable and um, able uh, young adult. Uh, you know, I'm just curious, do, do you guys, um, do you recommend uh, if someone can, if someone is, is paying for a term policy, whether it's because of financial reasons or otherwise, uh, what's wise to recommend for the average person, not the person with challenges? So I would say that, you know, what I'm seeing these days is that, you know, kids are often becoming financially independent um, a little bit later than perhaps you and, and I did. Yes. Um, And part of it is, you know, the cost of rent in, you know, San Francisco or New York or someone from there, um, you know, is is enormous from that standpoint. So I see that a lot of my clients typically uh, have life insurance, assuming that their kids are going to get off the payroll sometime between, you know, 25 and 30, as an example, from that standpoint. Now, others will keep life insurance for a longer period of time because, 
they want to provide, um, you know, a legacy. They want their, while their kids have become financially independent, you know, this is a way to perhaps um, participate in college funding for grandchildren or things of that nature. So beautiful. I, I appreciate the the input there because I think that that's that's something that's going to be on a lot of people's minds. So and I think I think that really you know like you said it's it's a case by case basis. It really depends on the individual and what their future goals are because it could be for. The next generation, or it can skip a generation, as Kim was just talking about. There's all different ways, and it, it's not, you know, a black and white answer. It really, is about us getting to know an individual and asking more questions to figure out the purpose of the coverage to see how long they might want it to last. Excellent. And so, you know, we go through the divorce process. For me, most of my listeners know three and a half years, you know, battling out largely divorces about finances once you get past that shared parenting piece. And and yet this conversation here, um, I think, often doesn't happen. And it's about ensuring everything you fought for and ensuring everything that's that's coming in the future. And and so for those listening, it's so important that you um, that you speak to the professionals who can who can guide you in looking at your unique circumstances, uh, your finances, your needs, your children and um, guide you in creating what that looks like for the long term. And this has been really very valuable. Are there any other points that we want to make before we begin to wrap up? Well, I think that, you know, while Danielle and I are not knowledgeable with regard to property and casualty insurance, but I think that's also something that can be um, overlooked, which is if all of a sudden, um, you know, I have this home, I would want to make sure that it was properly insured for the replacement value. And I just had a colleague who had a fire in his home and found out after the fact that his home was not properly insured. It's an example. I think understanding whether you need an umbrella policy, and if so, how large that should be. Again, and also looking at your, um, you know, automobile coverage and your deductibles as well. So if that's something that um, you were not involved in during uh, when you and your spouse were together, you know, I would suggest a review of that insurance is equally as important as a review of any of the other, you know, insurance policies that we have um, that we have talked about as well. Excellent. So uh, we titled this episode Frequently Forgotten Post-Divorce Essentials. And as you're listening, you can hear that there are some really important pieces of business that you may have not been thinking about or you may have uh, you know, already been post-divorce and nobody really brought to your attention. 
for me, listening to all of this, uh, Kim and Danielle, is overwhelming. There's just so many details. There's different kinds of policies. How much money is the pool of money to invest in insurance? What's the most important insurance? Can you share a little bit about what you to as as the experts um, provide your clients as we as we begin to wrap up, what's this service? And and if you could just speak to our listeners about what they should be looking for or expecting uh, in um, an insurance professional who can guide them correctly. That's a great question. I think the first thing is to really um, catalog all of the insurance and to make sure we know what there is and what there isn't is really important. Some basic things is just if you and your spouse have moved, you know, have you changed the address as an example? Have you changed the bank accounts if you have automatic payments and things of that nature? So I think making sure that you get all of the information in one place and knowing that, you know, you have everything up to date and who are the carriers as an example and who are the payers, the beneficiaries, the policy numbers, all of that is what makes sense. And then I think it's systematically, you know, reviewing really all of these different types of insurance, depending upon your situation. Now, some are going to be more urgent than others. I think that your health insurance for you and potentially, you know, your children is going to be the most urgent. Again, because we have a limited number of days, either to elect COBRA, to uh, enroll in an employer-sponsored plan, or to get into the exchange. Whereas we don't have that same deadline per se to make sure we have the right beneficiaries on our life insurance policies, or we have made decisions with regard to our long-term care insurance policies. And I think that... um, some of the things that are also urgent, you know, that property and casualty as well, um, significant risk of not being adequately insured. And then I think you begin to work through some of these, you know, other issues. Uh, Some of it depends upon your age and um, whether you're employed or you're not employed. So I think starting, first of all, by getting all of the information in one place so that you and whomever else is in the need to know, so to speak, knows where everything is, is the really the most important place to start. Beautiful. And I will say that we try and do that when we're working with individuals from the start to help try and keep everything in one place for them so it is located because then at the next step of the way right we know that it's already emotionally trying and and very overwhelming Karen as you just mentioned so how can we help make it a little bit easier on someone as well so 
by working with, with an advisor at the same time, it's really important to, to not add to that stress as well. So I always say one box at a time, right? Similar to what Kim touched upon, even when you're moving, right? It's the address changes alone, but it's, it's taking it one step at a time and unpacking each item. And not everything has to be done at once. Yes, there are, as we talked about, some arbitrary deadlines that we really want to accomplish during a timely fashion. But other things, right, we might set up with, with a roadmap that over time, certain other changes can be made as well as reviewed with time. And what I love about that, Danielle, is, you know, so often when I'm talking to my listeners and, and inviting experts like you on, it's about who's your team and do you have an A team? And so if if I'm hiring a, a, an insurance advisor, someone who really is, is knowledgeable and experienced and they're providing a roadmap, then if it's not front and center on my mind, uh, they should be reaching out and pinging me and saying, it's, it's time, it's time that we address this. And so if you're listening in and this is not um, a support that you have, I, I really encourage you to, um, to look for that expert that you're gonna be comfortable with that you can have on your team that can help guide you through this. And, and having said that, let me segue into, would each of you share um, how our listeners could find you, reach out to you, tell, tell them as well, like the area that you work in geographically so that if they wanna reach out to you, they can do that. Kim, sure. can we start with you? So uh, one other thing, one other point I wanted to make, Karen, is I think also don't be afraid to replace your existing insurance broker with someone new. So if your existing insurance broker is someone who has a very tight relationship with your former spouse, that may not be the person for you to work with going forward. It doesn't mean you need to replace your insurance, but you can always ask them to gather information on your behalf and review it with you. So certainly work with someone that you're going to be you know, comfortable with. Um, so Danielle and I have a national practice. We work with clients um, all over the United States. I think between the two of us, we're probably licensed in, you know, at least 40 states from there. And I think the, you know, the best way to, um, to, to chat with us is to send us an email or give us a call. And, you know, we can certainly answer questions. And if it makes sense, you know, help you inventory what you have and understand what are the time sensitive decisions that you need to make and to use your words, which I, I think are great ones, is to put together a roadmap of how you're going to tackle you know, in the right order and at the right time, you know, your insurance issues. 
Beautiful. And though Kim and I don't travel to every single state to see where, especially through this time, with the virtual conversations that we're having, they are still face-to-face. And as Kim mentioned, either of us can be reached by phone or by email. We'll share our email addresses in just one second verbally with you. But, you know, having just, I know that's even overwhelming to make that first call, but knowing that it doesn't cost anything to make that first call as well. And just to have that kind of initial conversation of taking that first step, knowing that, you know, there's not a hefty hourly fee behind that at the same time to get the conversation started and see how we can, can help you proactively make those changes. Yeah, and I would imagine what would come out of that conversation is taking this very general conversation and beginning to put some specifics for their uh, individual needs in place. And so I really encourage you, if you're realizing that this is something that you did not attend to and and want to, to, to reach out to Kim and Danielle and have that initial conversation. So what's the phone number that, um, that they can reach you at? 516-408-5635. That would be the best phone number. You can reach us directly together at that number and we can do joint consultations together and really be able to, to take, help you with that next step forward. And that number is in the show notes, so you can go there and check it out. And can you just share each of your email addresses as well or the one that they would use Sure. So mine is Kim, K-I-M, period, Natovitz, N-A-T-O-V-I-T-Z, at trybridgepartners.com. And Danielle? And if you thought that was long, I'm going to make sure you have your pen handy for this one because it's similar to Kim's, right? But it is Danielle, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E dot Kirshner, K-I-R-S-C-H-N-E-R at tri, T-R-I, bridge, B-R-I-D-G-E, partners dot com. So excellent. And that will be in the show notes as well. So if you didn't grab your pen fast enough, just go to the show notes and you will have um, all of their contact information. I want to thank you so much for joining us, for sharing uh, this great information, your wisdom, your advice, your experience, and uh, really appreciate it. I know it's going to bring value to so many of our listeners. Karen, thanks for inviting us to join you. Um, I know that some of this information is rather dry, for sure, um, but I'm glad we had an opportunity to, you know, help your listeners prioritize and maybe uh, bring to light some things they hadn't thought about as part of this um, process. So kudos to you for having such um, a worthwhile podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I second that. I think just, you know, the guidance that you're providing is invaluable. And if thank you for having us to shed some light on some other topics that, you know, people might want to consider that they didn't think about previously, because unless we're having these conversations, oftentimes they can get overlooked. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I first met you, that was my initial thought was I have not had someone on talking about this and it's so important. And you guys just highlighted how important it is in so many different areas. So thank you again. Uh, We so appreciate you being on. And for those listening, stay tuned. We will have another episode of Life After Divorce in a couple of weeks. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.